Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I'm calling uh, the talk tonight uh, Unified Theory of Well-Being. Mm, and uh, it, it kind of, it, it's putting together things that I've spoken about in various ways um, over some time now. Uh, but um, it seemed to me um, it would be, as it was coming to me, just a, a collection of the same basic principle in so many different approaches to meditation practice and Dharma practice and uh, non-Buddhist practice of well-being um, that I I wanted to underscore a particular uh, element common to all of these different approaches to well-being happiness, peace, ease. Last week, I, if you were not here, I spoke uh, about um, humility and confidence. How many people were here for, for that? Uh, and speaking about how easy it is to be humbled by our mistakes and, uh, and then feel lousy about them and, uh, and beat ourselves up or the possibility of learning from our mistakes and having it help us grow and deepen and how the confidence that naturally can, can emerge, I shouldn't say naturally, that can emerge is um, when we are, we're not in the way and we allow ourselves to be uh, just uh, an instrument of authenticity and honesty and truth. And that movement from feeling lousy about ourselves and judging ourselves and I'm not enough gets in the way of that being a vessel for truth. And that's just one example of this principle. And to um, really uh, present the the basic uh, idea, I want to share with you a a passage. I think I've shared this in the last year or so um, from one of my favorite books of all time. I know I have uh, here because I remember when somebody heard me uh, naming the book, they they perked up and said, oh, that was a book that changed my life. It's not such a well-known book. It's not Be Here Now. I always talk about Be Here Now. Don't worry. Uh, it's not Be Here Now. This is a, there's a thin little book by a guy named Thaddeus Golis, uh, and it was called The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. <clears throat> How many people uh, remember is one person. A few people. How many people? Okay, so there's like four hands. Okay. Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. 
thin book, which right away was very appealing to me. But um, in the, the opening pages, the basic principle was laid out and it made complete sense to me. And this is what I want to talk about. <clears throat> the basic function of each being is expanding and contracting. Expanded beings are permeative Contracted beings are dense and impermeative. We experience expansion as awareness, comprehension, understanding, or whatever we wish to call it. When we are completely expanded, we have a feeling of total awareness of being one with all life. When a being is totally contracted, he or she is a mass particle completely imploded. To the degree that one is contracted, a being is unable to be in the same space with others. So contraction is felt as fear, pain, unconsciousness, ignorance, hatred, evil, and a whole host of strange feelings. At an extreme, they have the feeling of being completely insane, of resisting everyone and everything, of being unable to choose the content of their consciousness. Of course, these are just the feelings appropriate to mass vibration levels, and they can get out of them at any time by expanding, by letting go of all resistance to what they think, see, or feel. Make sense? That is one way or another, I think, the the essence of Dharma practice. Dukkha, there is suffering. Dukkha is the word usually translated as either suffering or unsatisfactoriness or stress. First Noble Truth, there's suffering in life. And the Buddha, when he was asked what he taught, he said, I teach about suffering and the end of suffering. Dukkha is contraction. Dukkha, stress, by its very nature, is tight, contracted, dense, Sukha, happiness, well-being, is by its very nature expansive, open, spacious. And this is something that uh, we know is true not only in Buddhist teachings, but in neuroscience as well. 
when we get caught in worry or in fear or anger or wanting, all of those states are states where our sympathetic nervous system is getting activated. Sympathetic nervous system means is another way of saying it's it's there trying to help you out, but it gets activated and you're um, you're in either flight, fright, or freeze. <clears throat> And you get really tight and get very confused and do crazy things. And it's really hard when you're in that space to stay connected to your wisest, most loving self. Here's a couple of studies, neuroscience studies that kind of point to this. This is uh, one, one study uh, Danny Goleman writes about in Emotional Intelligence. And this is uh, called The Problem with Worry, in case you ever are prone to worry about things. A little tip. New solutions and fresh ways of seeing a problem do not typically come from worrying especially chronic worry, instead of coming up with solutions to these potential problems, worriers typically simply ruminate on the danger itself, immersing themselves in a low-key way in the dread associated with it while staying in the same rut of thought. So it's almost impossible to come up with a good solution or response when your mind is so contracted with worry or agitation because you're, you're stuck in that sympathetic response and you can't see new ways of understanding. You're just in a tape loop. You know that feeling when you're worrying about something and you just, you can't stop the replay button from hitting? It just keeps on going over and over and over. And you would do anything to get out of your head, but there it is. And the more, what happens, the more you try to get rid of it. Stop worrying so much. That's not going to do it. Come on now. Just chill out. You can hear the contraction and the loop that you're on. Here's another um, study that is the other side of things. How labeling calms the mind. You know, in... uh, in some styles of Vipassana practice, of insight meditation, we notice our experience and note it. Oh, breathing in, breathing out. Anger, sadness, itching on the nose, 
hearing, love, whatever it is, remembering, judging, kindness. Okay. And so you're naming your experience and doing the walking, lifting, moving, placing, like that. This is how labeling actually calms the mind. Researchers in the Brain Mapping Center at UCLA School of Medicine made a significant discovery about the value of using words to label fearful circumstances. When subjects in an experiment were shown faces with expressions of anger or fear, the fear centers in their brains showed increased blood flow, indicating that their own flight or fight response, flight, fight, or freeze, their own flight or fight response were being stimulated. However, when the subjects were asked to choose a word to describe the facial expressions of anger or fear, the blood flow to the fear centers diminished. Additionally, parts of the prefrontal cortex, brain area that regulates emotions, showed increased blood flow. The researchers concluded that the activity of labeling which takes place in the higher regions of the brain, can regulate emotional responses, helping you to feel calmer. And what that does is when you're in the middle of the reaction and cortisol is running through your body and you're really losing it, you know, if you can notice what's happening as I sometimes say, you know, oh, having a meltdown, that's what's happening, you know. The, use it, when, you, when you are recognizing what's happening, you're actually moving away from your activated amygdala or um, parasympathetic and going to your, sim- uh, sorry, moving away from your sympathetic to your parasympathetic that calms down the whole system. So just naming it and recognizing it calms down the system. And what does that do? You change from being contracted and tight and reactive to, as you calm down, starting to open up and relax a little bit or get a little bit more space Mm-hmm. And one of the basic principles in, uh, in the Buddhist teachings, um, which is really the heart of um, the, the course that I teach, that Awakening Joy course, is the understanding of uh, wise effort, which, as I've mentioned here before, has to do with dealing with the Difficult states, akusala, the states of suffering, like those fear and greed and hatred and uh, aversion and uh, lust and jealousy and all of those states, they're states of contraction. And the teaching is to guard against those states from arising and when they arise, when they do arise, when you get activated, just part of being human, 
that you learn how to overcome them so you don't completely implode or get lost. And then there's the kusala, wholesome states, love, compassion, kindness, patience, peace, equanimity. And the teaching that the Buddha gives is to cultivate those states and when those states are here, to maintain and increase those wholesome states. And he says one way he has of putting the teaching is is you are diminishing, weakening unwholesome states and strengthening wholesome states because not only do the wholesome states feel good, wholesome states are states of well-being and happiness and they lead to more well-being and happiness, but they also create the conditions for the awakened heart or mind to arise. Because out of that feeling of well-being, then um, deep freedom can arise. It's impossible for freedom, well, I, I would say virtually impossible, while you're in the middle of an unwholesome state to, um, to have freedom arise. Although an unwholesome state can wake you up in a moment and turn into, oh my God, I was lost. You know, I once was lost and now I'm found, as Amazing Grace says. So it's possible that getting very lost can actually wake us up, but it's much easier to wake up from a good dream than a, than a nightmare. It does happen, but the idea is the more you cultivate those wholesome states so that they become your home, you see more clearly in a more consistent, available way. And the heart also, um, the loving heart shines through. Now, by definition... Akusala, unwholesome states, are states of contraction. Just think about it. How you feel when you're angry. Not that it's bad, it's just part of being human. But when you're angry or in rage or agitated or worried or fearful. how do you feel? Or wanting, obsessed. All of those are contracted in the body and in the mind and in the heart. They're all states where we're tight, just like Thaddeus Golis says. And all states of well-being, kusala, love, kindness, patience, compassion, joy, are states, by definition, they're expansive. How do you feel when you're filled with love? How do you feel when your heart opens in compassion? How do you feel when you're experiencing a moment of joy? Open, isn't that so?
Now, there are different approaches to meditation practice, different styles, different traditions, different schools, different, um, yeah, different techniques. But they all have this basic principle, when I look at them, at least, at heart. And I wanted to share with you just a few different ways that people practice to just underscore this and then hopefully we can um, use the principle to apply in a very direct way in our own life, whether or not you're in the middle of a meditation period on the cushion, but just in your life when you get caught. So here's one um, beautiful style of practice that in the last um, last, oh, 10, 15 years or so, uh, many people have found very, very um, inspiring and, uh, and effective. And that's the, um, the style of practice that uh, a wonderful Burmese master named Utejaniya um, suggests. Have any people... Who've sat with Ute, or that sat in that style, Utejaniya style? There's one hand in the back. Okay, so here's uh, Utejaniya's right attitude for meditation, and I. This is part of a, you can Google uh, 23 points of right attitude. I'm not going to do all 23, but just so you get, this is what he says. Keep in mind as far as right attitude. And right attitude in this style of practice is the key. It's not just, oh, this will be a good thing for you to do and maybe uh, then you'll learn how to meditate. This is the meditation, basically. Okay. Meditating is acknowledging and observing whatever happens whether pleasant or unpleasant, in a relaxed way. That's point one. This is point four. When meditating, both the mind and the body should be comfortable. If the mind and the body are getting tired, this is another point, something is wrong with the way you're practicing, and it's time to check the way you're meditating. Sound good? Here's another one. Why do you focus so hard when you meditate? Do you want something? Do you want something to happen? Do you want something to stop happening? Check to see if one of these attitudes is present. Another. The meditating mind should be relaxed and at peace. You cannot practice when the mind is tense. Here's another. Don't focus too hard. Don't control. Neither force nor restrict yourself. Just a a few more. Don't have any expectations. Don't want anything. Don't be anxious because if these attitudes are in your mind, it becomes difficult to meditate. Another. You have to double check to see what attitude you're meditating with. A light and free mind enables you to meditate well. Do you have the right attitude? And then finally, the object of attention is not really important. 
the observing mind that is working in the background to be aware is of real importance. The observing mind that is working in the background to be aware is of real importance. If the observing is done with the right attitude, any object is the right object. That means it doesn't matter what you're paying attention to, whether it's a beautiful experience or object or a difficult one, as uh, one of my colleagues says, awareness doesn't care. Awareness doesn't care. Now, there is a caring in the awareness. There's a caring heart. But awareness doesn't care what the object is or what the experience is. Because as we've said before, the awareness can hold anything. The awareness of fear is not afraid. The awareness is open and relaxed. The awareness of anger is not angry. It's the difference between being in the middle of it, damn it, why did he do that? Oh, there's anger here. Awareness doesn't care. It's so freeing. As soon as you see that openness, as soon as you can somehow move from the contraction of the activated response to the openness of awareness, awareness can hold anything. And awareness by itself is expansive. So that's the Utejaniya approach. Here's uh, another tradition, the Tibetan Dzogchen tradition. How many people have done Dzogchen practice here? Anyone? Just, just one? Okay. Great practice. And I, you know, I was, let's see, when did I first get into it? I, I'd been practicing maybe for about, uh, oh, um, almost 20 years, 15, 16 years or more before I was introduced to Dzogchen. And I, I practiced hard. I was diligent, you know, because I was so, um, so inspired and so motivated to, uh, to practice, as, as sometimes uh, the saying goes, one, one, one great uh, 20, 19th century uh, uh, master would say, practice like your hair is on fire. And I practice like my hair is on fire. And there's a value to it. But uh, there's a point of diminishing returns. And you can get really exhausted. And then I found Dzogchen, this Tibetan practice, where they just say, chill out, relax. And here I'll read to you a couple of uh, Dzogchen uh, teachings. Some of you have heard this before. This is from Gendon Rinpoche. 
Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do. Let the game happen on its own, springing up and falling back without changing anything. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you relax this grasping, space is here, open, inviting, and comfortable. So make use of it. All is yours already. Don't search any further. Don't go into the inextricable jungle looking for the elephant who's quietly at home. Nothing to do, nothing to force, and everything happens by itself. Now, I should say, they tell you that after you've done the preliminary practices. And the preliminary practices are uh, 100,000 prostrations, 100,000 mantra recitations, 100,000 visualizations. And you do all that and then they say, just relax. (laughs) So there is a value and it's important. I don't want to undersell and diminish the point of giving a wholehearted sincerity into your practice. But when it becomes tight, you're not going to open up to true wisdom. And it's really easy when you practice with your hair is on fire, unless somebody is saying, remember not to get too tight. Just give it space. It's easy to go overboard in that direction. Just like in the other, it's easy to go overboard in just lolling about. Well, you know, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, I'm not. It's okay, you know, chill, whatever. No, that, you need some heartfulness into the practice. But it needs to have that kind of ease and openness and spaciousness. Here, this is another... Um, Dzogchen teaching. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helplessly by karma and neurotic thoughts, like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, Rest in natural great peace. I'll say it again. Rest in natural great peace. This exhausted mind, beaten helplessly by karma and neurotic thoughts, like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, Rest in natural great peace. So all of this is really underscoring 
the difference between the contracted mind, the dense mind, the confused mind, the agitated mind, the suffering mind, and the open, expansive, clear, loving, heartful, wise mind or wise heart. I'm using the word mind right now, but really mind and heart are the same in, uh, in Pali. Chitta, heart, mind. And sometimes when people uh, talk about their mind in Asia, they, they point to their heart. Yes. Oh yes, my mind is, is bright today. Um, so whatever one works for you. But usually when we get caught in our stories and our confusion, we're up here in our head, we think of it, and when we are open and expansive, uh, we're more embodied and, uh, and spacious. I mentioned here a number of uh, times where uh, this one, uh, one master, Tibetan master, he came to uh, Spirit Rock many years ago um, and uh, he gave a talk and in the talk he said, I'm going to sum up all of Dharma practice in two words. And everybody got really interested. Oh wow, we're going to really, we're going to hear the secret teachings finally. And then he said, be spacious. This is just what I'm talking about. Because when there's a spaciousness, then things can be seen more clearly. And this is one of the uh, gifts of mindfulness. If you've ever done a retreat, and I highly recommend if you haven't to do a retreat, um, when you, generally when people come to a retreat, they're carrying all the stuff in their life. And after a few days, things kind of settle down. It's kind of like sometimes I think of the meditation cushion as your compost heap. And you're just kind of like letting all of the, all of the yuck settle down and, and it becomes kind of uh, fertile ground for, uh, for growing. And after a while, there's space in the mind and the heart And in that space, you start to see things more clearly. You're not trying to have insights. You're not trying to come up with the answers. But rather, they just reveal themselves. Have you ever seen that? When you're not trying so hard to figure out the answers and you let go there it is, like a, that line I love from uh, the Third Zen Patriarch. He says, stop talking and thinking and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. Because that's how it works. When you're trying too hard, you can't see. <clears throat> and that's why it's called insight meditation because as there's that spaciousness and you can see clearly then there's enough room for the wisdom to shine through 
not only the wisdom to shine through, but the heart naturally opens when it's not tight and contracted. That's why it's so important to understand and learn how to open to how to open to things when you are tight. Because as I said, and we know how easy it is to just wind yourself up into more contraction, even though you know better. And that's where, you know, we've talked many times about the self-compassion practice, where you're just calming yourself down, you know, just uh, once again, if you have done it before, if you haven't, just put your hand on your heart right now. And when you do, this calms down the whole system. And it's just holding, giving space for all of that stuff to be held. It's interesting how you can hold it. It's wonderful to have somebody else hold it for you and hold, hold you, but you can hold yourself. Ah, And this activates the parasympathetic system and just cools you all out. Oh, yes. Ah. Or when you do the, um, the RAIN acronym, the mindful holding of your feelings and there's anger or there's sadness and you notice the RAIN acronym, many of you are quite familiar with this, recognize, allow, investigate, non-identify or not take it personally. All of those are movements towards expansion. Recognize, like I said before, moving from the, the tight, activated amygdala to the cortex. Oh, that's what's happening. Allow, give permission instead of wishing things were different to just give permission Right there is a shift. It's the Aikido move instead of resisting. Okay, let's allow. In that allow, you can feel and hear the, uh, the, the spaciousness that comes from that. Investigate, which is being interested instead of trying to get rid of. Investigate is seeing Oh, what's going on here? And by definition, you can't want to be closer and understand and be interested at the same time you're trying to get rid of. So just being interested, let's check it out. You're not having the agenda, okay, let's get rid of. Sometimes you can have the the idea, well, if I check it out, then I'll get rid of it. You know, you, you can't trick it. It knows. If you're trying to, oh, I'll pay attention so that then it'll go away. No, no, no. You have to really let go of your agenda, allow, and then just be interested. And that in itself gives space. Be interested to the extent that you're able to be spacious and not spun out. And the end, non-identification is that awareness 
that can hold whatever is here. Or another way, uh, another key component in, um, in moving from the tight mind to the expansive mind, uh, we need to have some sense of safety. Because when we're not feeling safe, when we're feeling threatened, our sympathetic nervous system gets activated. And that's why it's so important, so essential to somehow feel safe enough that you have the courage to open up to the hard stuff. That's why refuge is such a key word in this practice. Refuge in the Buddha, refuge in the Dharma, refuge in the Sangha. You know, that's what we chant at the end of the, the sittings here. You know, Buddhang, Sarananga, Chami. You know, I take refuge in, in the Buddha. Because ref, and refuge in the Buddha means refuge in that place of wisdom right inside or refuge in the Dharma, refuge in the truth of how things are, or refuge in the Sangha, the feeling of community and support. Because when we feel refuge, we feel safe enough to explore and go in. And when we don't feel safe, we feel threatened and we need to protect ourselves and we need to find safety. And sometimes I, I find that when, we're, when you're frightened, yeah, maybe I'll do it now, just a, a little um, um, practice to give ourselves safety. Just try this, close your eyes. And suppose you're needing some safety and you're needing some refuge. And just from your own goodness of heart, call on all the goodness of life to support you. Call on the benevolence of life to support you. And just imagine being surrounded by a field of goodwill. And if this field had a color, just imagine what color it would be for you. Let yourself be surrounded by that protective color and field of benevolence. And this field has some special properties. It's semi-permeable. So it can let out all of the goodness shining from you and let in any goodwill from around you, but it keeps out any negativity that you don't need. It doesn't serve you. Just let yourself feel that protection And 
So giving yourself some safety and refuge right for yourself. You can open your your eyes if you'd like. Whatever way helps you feel safe, whether it's that or finding some safety with some people that you feel can hold you and hold your your fear or being around like-minded friends or other ways to feel safe. That helps us to lighten up from our tightness. Prayer out of, you know, whether or not your uh, Buddhist uh, Buddhist tradition is not much spoken of about prayer. But in a way, when we take refuge in something bigger than ourselves, we are aligning with something bigger than ourselves. But in prayer, in the traditional um, other spiritual traditions, uh, when you pray, what are you doing? You are getting out of your tight, frightened, fearful mind state and aligning yourself with some, your image or sense of all that's good. And that in itself realigns, you're on a different wavelength, a different frequency. You know, the universal prayer, help. You are moving out of, I can't, how can I get out of it? I'm gonna, I'm never gonna get out of here to open yourself up to something larger than yourself and align yourself with something that speaks to the goodness inside of you. That's a, a very skillful means to whatever extent, whatever else is going on. It's a skillful means to align yourself in a way that expands your mind and your heart and your body. And all of this is really pointing to a sense of trust and surrendering the control that you never had in the first place. Surrendering and trusting in life. And somehow um, letting yourself connect with all that's good and um, letting yourself be held is the, the image that I, I like to use is uh, going from um, you're learning to swim and you're put in a, in a pool and they say, just relax and you'll be okay and you're going up and down. What do you mean relax? And then you start to tread water oh, that's much better. And then you somehow magically find enough trust to stop all fighting and realize the water was here to support you all along. Ah. This is changing from the tight contraction implosion. This is going to get you keeping on bobbing up and down 
And when you completely open and relax, ah, you're supported. And so a lot of the spiritual journey is about learning more and more to trust and relax. To trust and realize that you don't control the show. You can somehow let yourself be in harmony with things instead of fighting it. Okay, so what does all this mean? And how can we, say, apply it practically in our life? Very simply, you can think of your whole Dharma practice, your whole of your spiritual practice, as noticing contraction or expansion. That's it. It makes it so much simpler than trying to figure out, you know, what list this is and, uh, oh yes, the ten paramitas and what am I going to, how can I work through that? And oh, there's the seven factors of enlightenment and there's the five hindrances and there's the eightfold path and just contraction, expansion. And if you're contracted, all you need to do is to remember to, even in the slightest, move towards expansion. And here's a, what I find a very important principle. Because when we're tight, we want more than anything to be out back in the sunlight and in the Buddha fields, and in, oh yes, I remember God, you know, uh, six months ago, I was just doing so great, and I was so, everything was chill, and how do I get back there? And here I am kind of, you know, freaking out. If you're having some kind of an image of getting back there, where everything was just love and light and peace, it's gonna be that much more frustrating. However, and here's the secret, when you're tight, any movement, the slightest movement from tightness, contraction to expansion is really all that you need. All that you can do at that point, but it's all that you need Because even if you're just going a little in that other direction and you start to feel a little bit of relief, then what you need to do or can do is just notice the relief. Oh, it's better now. Oh, Now, the mind can say, yeah, well, it's a little better, but it's not as much as I'd like it to be. You've blown it. As soon as you have some kind of high expectation or idea or goal of how you really want to feel, you've missed out that you've changed the direction. And even a slightest changing of direction and you pay attention, oh, hmm, this is feeling better. 
you know, I'm just remembering the great Beatles song, it's getting better all the time, you know. A little better, you know. Even, it can't get no worse, okay. It's getting a little better all the time. And the mind responds a whole lot better. This is a principle that came to me a number of years ago. The mind responds a whole lot better to invitation than command. So if you're impatient and you're saying, come on, let's get on with it. Relax. Yeah, ever have somebody say to you, just relax. And you're kind of, you know, freaking out. Or you say to a, a little kid who's having a tantrum, just relax, Johnny. Thank you. Okay. That's not going to do it. And if you're telling yourself in, in a frustrated, impatient way, come on now, relax. That command there's something in us that resists it or doesn't even believe it's possible. Whereas you, if you invite, and this is like the phrases in, um, in the metta practice, may I feel at ease. May I be safe. Not, come on now, be safe. May I, which is a kind of invitation. It's a, what the Buddha calls inclining the mind. You're inclining the mind towards more openness and expansion. Not commanding it. And when you can remember, oh, it's just a habit. It's just the replay button got pressed. This is where meditation practice comes in, seeing, oh, my mind has just played a trick on me. If you can remember that, as I, I've often mentioned, my main practice is uh, when I get confused, if I can remember, what thought am I believing right now? Or what story am I believing? Ah, oh, yeah, there's the awareness that sees. Oh, I just got caught in a story. Or, as came to me in my, the last time I, I did a, a bit longer of a retreat, I would just find myself lost in a thought and I'd wake up and say, oh, mental fabrication. It was, it's been a very useful uh, note. Oh, mental fabrication. My mind just created this whole world that it made up. It's all made up. So if it's all made up, why don't you make up a good story? You know? Oh, mental fabrication. And just a reminder, instead of, God damn, there you go again. Oh, got lost. And in that awareness that sees, oh, there it is again. Or other ways, and I'm sure you're quite familiar with it, to get some more spaciousness. If the energy is too heavy, you know, I could take some time and, and, and ask around uh, what you do, but I'll just finish up so we can have a few moments for, for questions, you know. What do you do when you're intense? Well, just anyone, what, what do you do? When you're really intense and you can't sit with things, 
What, what's one thing you do? Go for a walk. That's it. Just get some space. You know. Anything else you do? What's that? Go to the gym. Right. Exercise. Discharge the energy. Yeah. Anything else? Sing. Sing. Right. Let it out. Let it move right through you. Yeah. Anything else? What's that? Deep breath. Deep breathing. Yeah. Ah. Give some space for it to move. Yeah. Being out in nature. The Buddha recommended that highly. I was just reading today, actually, uh, that um, you know, Finland was was just named again the, the happiest country in the world. I go there most every summer, by the way, and and uh, and they now have um, they have a new program called Rent a Fin, <laughs> where you can you sign up if you're lucky enough to get picked. They have, and I saw all these fins that say. I'll show you how to be happy. And you come there, and what they do is they take you out of nature, because nature is the key for, for fins. You know? So you can, you can check it out, by the way, Rent a Fin. I actually heard it on the radio, and then I, and I read it, all, both in the same... Oh, somebody sent me a, a, a link to it today. So Rent a Fin. You don't have to go to Finland. Just go out in nature. You know, that'll do it. Anyway, the idea is... Moving from the tightness of contraction to the openness of an expanded mind and heart. Just the slightest. And when you can see that and notice, celebrate. Ah, I'm going in the right direction. You know how when you, if, you're, if you're trying to heal from something and it just... It seems like you know you've been that that you've been um, it. Not, it I'm sorry, nothing has happened for a while, and then you start seeing there's a little bit of healing. Isn't that doesn't that make all the difference? Oh, I just have to be patient here. I'm going in the right direction. Same way with yourself with contraction and expansion. In any moment, you can be an imploded being and then you can remember, ah, I'm moving in the right direction. Just a little bit more space. A little bit more kindness with yourself. A little bit more clarity that's not trying to get out of it, but just can hold it what's here right now. Unified theory of well-being. Okay, so we just have a few moments. Uh, any question? Any anything that uh, you want to bring up from that? Oh, thanks, Andrew. I want to thank you very much, James, because I'm in the middle of a very deep depression. And really, I'm in the middle of a deep depression, so I was really glad I came tonight and uh, really helped. And when you said mental fabrication, I thought, oh, fake news. <laughs> what did you say? It was what? Fake news. Fake news. 
Exactly. There you go. You're telling yourself fake news, didn't you? You didn't know all along you were just dialed to the wrong channel. Yeah. Real fake news. Yes. Thank you. As I was listening, I was thinking of an elder who is very um, inquiring and all of those positive things that you were saying, but also very rigid. And and the rigidness is... um, she needs things to be a certain way mm-hmm. for her own integrity and well-being. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if you could say something about, I mean, we often think of rigid as contracted, but I was listening and thinking of somebody for whom that's that's not true at all, but it's some sort of beautiful structure. Ah. And how do you understand that? Yeah, well... Structure can be really helpful. It can, for, and some people uh, don't do well without structure, and some people do, with just different temperaments. Structure, within, within the structure, if there can be a kind of ease and openness of heart, then beautiful. We need... Organization is a really good thing. And if it's a rigidity in the heart, then that gets complicated. Then there's not being, you know, life is changing all the time. So flexibility is going to be an essential point when things don't go your way. That's different than being rigid. Okay, well, we, we should uh, close. So you might this week just play around with that practice. Contracted? Oh, what can I, how can I move in the other direction, in this other direction? And be very patient with your process. Don't hurry it up. Hold it if you're not able to move in the other direction. Don't force it. Just even holding it with some tenderness, that in itself starts to thaw out the frozen heart or soften the armoring a bit. Okay, so let yourself connect and appreciate whatever it is that would bring you here to be with all of us. Just wishing yourself well, wishing those near you well, that in itself is an expansive heart. Love is the great expander love and wisdom. Wish well to everyone near you and in this room and then just send out those thoughts expanding the field of kindness to include everyone, all beings everywhere and this whole planet that needs our love. 
may all find ease inside and inner peace. May all move from fear into love and understanding. May all know the highest happiness and peace. And may our sharing this evening ripple out and be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.